hear a reading from Jeremiah chapter 29, verses 1 through 7. These are the words that the, that the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the remaining elders among the exiles, to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar has taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This is of, after King Jacob and the queen mother, the court officials, the leaders of Judah and Jerusalem, the arsons and the smiths had departed from Jerusalem. The letter was sent by the hand of Esla, son of Shaphan, and Jeremiah, son of Hilkin, whom... King Zedah of Judah sent to Babylon to King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. It said, Thrust thy Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage. That they may bear sons and daughters, multiply there and do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile, and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. The word of the Lord. The year was 1994. It was a dark, cold evening. The church, youth group, and several young adults were at the Black Welder home. The occasion? Super Bowl twenty-eight. The Cowboys and Bills were to fight for the championship. Cheese dips and appetizers were everywhere. I was a seven-year-old amongst a bunch of youth. In my mind, I was a child amongst men. Like the underdog Bills against the Cowboys, I had something to prove. I had to prove that I was just as mature as the rest of them that were there. So I set to work quickly, going up to each and every person as they came into the house. And I would ask them, Bills or Cowboys? Come on, what's it going to be, Bills or Cowboys? As soon as they would answer, I would shoot down their opinion and vehemently explain to them why their team would lose. It wasn't that I cared who would win or lose. It was about showing them that I knew just as much or more about football than they did. What I had noticed is that most of these people seemed to think that it was okay for me to do that. But what I had not accounted for was the fact that my mother who really didn't even care that the game was being played, was beyond tired of how obnoxious I had become. (laughs) I was harassing the guest. I was becoming the opposite of hospitable. But I was the preacher's kid, and I was cute, and so they tolerated me. But my mom wasn't under this spell. She was immune to my cuteness. She had given it to me, after all. And she didn't care if my dad was the preacher or not. So she sent me to my room for the evening. I had stepped over the line, and as the door shut behind her as she left, it hit me. I was alone. I was going to miss out. This was not normal. This was my house. There were things going on at my house, and I had to miss it. This was before the days of iPods and iPhones. This was before the days that a TV was in almost every single room in the house. I had books. I had Legos. But I was separated from everyone else and all the excitement. I wasn't happy, but this was my room, and this was where I was going to be for the night. So I made the best of it. I read a couple of books. I built a pirate ship out of my Legos. I went through a bunch of toys in my junk drawer, those toys that you collect from McDonald's and you play with for about 10 minutes and then throw in a drawer somewhere. I actually ended up having a pretty good time. Before long, I forgot that I had been exiled to my room. I don't know if y'all remember the way the game went. 
but it was rather one-sided. The Cowboys destroyed the Bills, and the Bills haven't been any good since. It wasn't much of a game. I didn't miss much. At the time, I didn't even really care that much about pro football anyway. And because I got to experience this cold-hearted exile to my room, I managed to build a pretty impressive pirate ship, and I found a little Debbie cake that I had stashed under my bed months before. All in all, it was a successful night. Exile wasn't so bad once I embraced it as my new home for the evening. I just made the best of it. It was all I could do. The passage that we just heard sounds a lot like Israel's going to be in exile for quite some time. The Israelites thought this exile was going to just be temporary. It was just a transition time for them. They were still looking to the past, licking their wounds, hoping that they could return to their former glory that they once enjoyed in their own land. For the Israelites, this land was part of the promise. It was a physical connection to their relationship with God. But because of their disobedience toward God, God allows them to be taken into exile into Babylon. In this passage, we hear God speaking through Jeremiah to His people. And the message that we hear is that Israel even though they are in a land not of their own choosing, must put down roots. This place of exile is where they're going to be. Maybe not forever, but long enough for them to take off their coats and stay a while. Israel is told to plant gardens. Gardens don't grow overnight. Gardens must be tended. They must be watered. Gardens must be loved. And God's telling His children, love this new land. Love this land where you are. This may not be Jerusalem. This may not be the land where you grew up. You may not know all of the rocks and the hills here. But this is the land you will inhabit right now. So go do it. God tells His people to marry and to have children. And then let your children have children. Continue to populate this place of exile. Continue to grow and thrive in this land that you didn't choose. There are people here who do not know me. Remember whose you are, Israel, so that those who do not know who made them might come to know that I love them. If you think about it, a place is really only exile if you let it be. Exile only exists if you live in the past. Exile only exists if you remain focused on what you don't have right now. If we find ourselves in a new land, one that we're not really familiar with, one that we didn't choose, well, let's seek out ways to make it better. Let's do what we can to spread the good news in whatever land we find ourselves. Let's share that grace that God has shown to each of us. There's an idea that's become very popular in many churches today, especially in the South. It's one that I've heard a lot of people say that they believe. It's one that has become so popular that it permeates every place that we look. And it goes like this. We're looking forward to leaving this world. And as Christians, we're looking to be saved to make it to heaven, right? When we get to heaven, we won't have to deal with all of the evil and all of the pain and all of the suffering that we encounter on a daily basis here. But there's at least one problem with this way of thinking. It's not biblical. If all we're looking to do is to escape this place in which we find ourselves, this broken world that we weren't originally designed for, 
then we deny the work of Jesus Christ. If we place all of our focus on being somewhere other than where we are, we miss the point of Jesus coming, dying, and being raised so that we can experience eternal life here and now. When we really think about it, we're just a bunch of exiles. Because of Adam and Eve's disobedience, we aren't in that perfect garden anymore. We've been banished. Does that mean that we should just abandon this world and do everything that we can to leave it behind? I don't think that's what God's told us through the coming of His Son, Jesus Christ. We spend so much time trying to get away from the world that that becomes the focus of our life. How can I leave it? How can I go away somewhere else? We come up with new ways to dodge the creditors. We feel like we need just one more vacation from work. We feel like we have to have just one more drink to dull the pain. We do all sorts of things to try to escape the life that we live when it's not going exactly like we want it to. But when we look at the big story of God and God's relationship with all that He's made, we don't find God trying to run away from the world. We find God doing everything in His power to continue working with us where we are, to bring about the kingdom of God here on earth now. It sounds to me like God is telling us to take off our coats and stay a while. God wants us to participate in bringing about the welfare of those around us. Those who may not look like us, those who may not dress like us, those who may not talk like us, or even those who may not think like us. Yet God calls us to reach out to them. We do that in a lot of different ways here at Central. We have Bible studies that equip and shape us with the knowledge and courage that we need to go out and to tell people of the God that we've encountered. We support ministries like Habitat for Humanity, Salkahatchee, Santahatchee, Rebuilding Together. We do a lot of mission work. We share God's love by giving people safer and more secure housing, homes, all with the hope that they may gain a new family here at Central and a new relationship with the God who made them. We reach out to the more experienced persons in the community with programs like the Shepherd Center, Joy Seniors. We give the gift of life by participating in blood drives, sharing a part of us, because God has shared with us a part of Himself. We worship together on Sundays and Thursdays and various other times throughout the week. We build community here on Wednesday nights. We teach our youth how to love God and neighbor better. We teach our children who God is and why God matters. But we do all of these things so that we can grow in our own spiritual lives, so that we can be a blessing for others. There's a lot going on here. And God's calling us to find some way to participate in it. So I encourage you, if you haven't found a way to get involved, do so. Call the church office. Check out the church website. Ask someone how you can build the kingdom of God through Central. Take off your coat. Stay a while. Let's get to working in making this community a little bit better. Not for our own benefit, but for the welfare of those around us. Today is Children's Sabbath. I briefly mentioned the part of the passage that we heard in which God tells Israel to have children and multiply. There's a reason that God tells them to populate this land of Babylon. 
If these Israelite children are brought up in a land that wasn't promised to them, in a land not of their own choosing, in a land that is full of people who don't look or talk or believe like they do, it's a little easier for them to love those who are different. With each passing generation, the hatred and the prejudices fade away little by little. Before long, those Israelite children, they no longer see Babylon as a place of exile. They see it as the place they live. They call it home. They no longer see the Babylonian children as the others. Instead, they call them brothers and sisters. This passage from Jeremiah is very appropriate for a day in which we're led in worship by children. See, children have an innocence about them. They're able to see the good in things a lot easier than adults. They're not so cynical about the world. They haven't been tarnished by it yet. They aren't looking to go to another place of their own choosing. One that may be better, more fun, less worrisome. They look to make the best of whatever they're doing. We can learn a lot from that. We can learn how to forgive. We can learn how to love. We can learn how to live life to the fullest by watching these children. When I was interning at the UNC hospital, I worked in the children's department, in the children's ward. I met a six-year-old child named Xavier. Xavier was at the hospital for a while. And he was in the hospital because his mom's boyfriend had burned his feet for some kind of punishment. I don't even know why. It didn't even matter. And you would think that this child would be afraid to go back home. Maybe even scared of the man who hurt him. Maybe even hate that man. And I'd go up and I would visit Xavier every afternoon. He didn't have any family around him. They weren't legally allowed to come see him. He was alone. He had me. He had the medical staff. And that was it. People he didn't even really know. And so I'd go sit with Xavier and we would play Mario on the Wii. We would watch TV. We'd talk about nothing really. Most of the time we would just talk about his favorite TV shows or Transformers. He was happy. Given his circumstances, this child was happy. One day, I asked Xavier what he felt about going back home. This child who was alone and suffering in a hospital bed, living in exile, he just looked up at me and he smiled. Just a big smile. I said, Xavier, what are you smiling about? Preacher man, I've been praying for my mama and her boyfriend. I've been praying that Jesus will help them. I'm not scared. I'm not mad. Jesus loves me. And I want Jesus to love them too. And I want them to know that. Xavier got it. He understood better than most what the good news is. Even in the midst of living in situations that we might not choose, God is with us. God loves us. God will transform us. The theology of this six-year-old living in exile stopped me in my tracks. It caused me to think, am I as quick to pray for those who have done me wrong? Do I love with reckless abandon like this little six-year-old boy with galls on his legs? Do I love as perfectly as he does? Even though things may not be perfect in my life, can I still smile and know that every breath I have is a gift from God? These are questions that demand answers. But they aren't just any kind of answers. 
These are questions that demand an active response. Go. Do. Love. Forgive. Share. Smile. Find a way. Even in exile. To build God's kingdom here. Now. What are you waiting for? Go out. Tell someone about the good news. See if it puts a smile on their face. See if it puts a smile in your heart. Amen.